As the VAT sector moves to focus on self-assurance, governance and quality assurance will become even more important. Audit Express is a leader in quality assurance and internal audit. Their team has decades of experience across the VET sector. They work closely with and are trusted by some of Australia's most prominent and highly regarded RTOs, TAFE institutes and dual sector universities. Contact them at auditexpress.com.au or by phoning 1300 7355. From Claire Field and Associates, I'm Claire, and I'm pleased that you could join me for this episode of What Now, What Next? Insights into Australia's tertiary education sector. Well, here we are, episode 36 of the podcast, and this week I'm joined by Troy Williams, the CEO of the Independent Tertiary Education Council Australia, which you probably know better as ITECA. Troy and I talked about this year's federal budget and what it means for the sector, as well as some of the key policy issues ITECA and its members are focused on. We also discussed the transition that Troy and his members have been on in the shift from ACPET to ITECA. And on that point, I did just want to note that although one of the drivers behind the shift was an intention to put a stronger emphasis on higher education in the work that ITECA does, I'm only too aware that there were a lot of people very passionate about higher education back in the days when I worked at ACPET and I didn't want to ignore the huge contribution they made to members and the sector. Notably, I'm talking about you, Dr Peter Ryan, Professor Hilary Winchester, Dr Laura Hugaz and the brilliant Ben Vivekanandan, as well as ACPET's many wonderful higher education provider members. The focus, though, of my chat with Troy was this year's budget, and it's fair to say that while there was not much in the budget for the non-university higher education sector, there were a number of VET-related initiatives. And while these measures are welcome, we were in agreement, Troy and I, that a lot more is going to be needed if VET is to play the key role that it can in helping Australia rebuild after the recession which COVID has triggered. As always, do get in touch if you have any feedback on the show. And just before Troy and I start our chat, here's a quick complimentary shout out to to consultant John Briggs, who I learned more from in one workshop in 2019 than I learned all year. Here's how he can help your organisation. John Briggs Consultancy leading Australia's reconciliation and Indigenous engagement journey. As a leader in training, consulting and facilitation, John works with audiences of all levels and backgrounds to help them understand political, legislative and economic aspects of Australia's Indigenous history and governments. John has adapted his workshops to allow them to be delivered virtually or in a COVID-safe environment. To find out more about John Briggs Consultancy, go to johnbriggs.net.au or call John direct on 0417 003 565. 
us a little bit of time, issues at my end, to um, organise uh, today's uh, interview. But I'm very pleased that uh, that we have been able to virtually sit down together. And it's a great pleasure to have Troy Williams, who is the CEO of um, Key Independent uh, vet and higher education provider ITECA, uh, the peak body in the sector, uh, to have Troy join me on uh, on the podcast for a bit of a, a chat about uh, the sector and how things are going. So, Troy, uh, welcome. Tell us a little bit um, about yourself and your history. Who are you and what do you do? Look, uh, thank you, Claire, and it's great to be with both you and your listeners. I've been here with uh, ITECA or ACPET, the Australian Council of Private Education Training, as we're previously known since November uh, 2018. And sometimes it seems like we're coming up on two years and given the challenges of COVID, sometimes it seems like two decades already. But look, it's been an interesting time. I've come to ITECA uh, for about 20 years with other non-profit uh, organisations, industry associations and professional bodies. And so most of my work looking at uh, vocational education and training, but also higher ed, had been very much from the perspective of industry, from the perspective of the employers, and, and ensuring that the outcomes of both the vet sector and the higher ed sector were relevant uh, to that cohort. Uh, and in that time, with the, the Fire Protection Association Australia, going back 20 years now, we, we established an RTO. Along the way, I was the CEO of a, a mid to large sized uh, RTO and, and group training organisation. Uh, a brief sojourn completely into the private sector, sometimes with law firm and funds manager and also a little bit of time with the Army. But most of my career, as I said, has been with industry associations, uh, which by their very nature have a strong interest, particularly in VET, but also in higher ed. Uh, and so when uh, asked to come on board with uh, ACPED, as it then was last, uh, or sorry, November 2018, it was simply a case of bringing a lot of that expertise, not only in VET, but also in corporate governance and rebranding and restructuring and no real surprise, a major focus on government affairs, government liaison, sort of packaging all that in together, which made it quite relevant to the role of ITECA. So, look, it's been uh, coming up on two years, uh, and uh, it's been a, a genuine uh, pleasure to, to work with uh, the team at ITECA. The board that we have have been great. We've gone through a fairly significant cultural reorganisation in that time, a fairly significant administrative reorganisation and a governance restructure. And, of course, all of that's overlaid with the, the work of the world, irrespective of our own need to manage the organisation well. First and foremost, we need to support our members, and I cannot thank the support in the advice and guidance we've had through the members throughout that enough. They've been great. Terrific. And, look, you talk about um, your history and having done, you know, all but two years uh, in your current role at ITECA, and I managed only four at ACPET and was completely exhausted. And and you're quite right, you, one of your two has been in the midst of a, of a global pandemic. So the fact that you still got uh, plenty of energy and you're, you're up for the challenge is a huge uh, credit to you. Now, in the very first episode of the podcast, goodness, I look back now and think, what was I thinking? I had three guests and juggled them all. And one of them um, was Alexis Watt from uh, Open Colleges, who obviously has been um, associated with uh, ACPET and, uh, and ITECA for many, many years. And he was the chair at the time uh, of uh, the newly then formed ITECA. And I said to him, he talked a bit about what you were planning to do. And I said at the time, it would be great to have you you come on uh, once you've done those sorts of changes and uh, and talk through um, and you've alluded to them a little bit there, but can you go into a little bit more detail for us? So 
a, a number of people would have had dealings with, you know, ACPET in one form or another and, you know, either enjoyed it or, you know, gnashed their teeth and rolled their eyes at it. Um, talk us about the change through the changes that you made um, from ACPET into ITECA. Where is it at now as the, the peak body and what are some of the key policy issues that you and your members are focused on? Look, uh, Claire, that's a, an excellent question. Uh, and it was a process that was put in place prior to my time, uh, but it was very clear from day one that uh, the transition from ITECA to ACPET was going to be a major part of my work. Uh, sorry, the other way around, the transition from ACPET to ITECA. And what it was was driven by an understanding that increasingly uh, we have a single post-secondary tertiary, uh, sorry, post-secondary education system. We certainly have VET, we certainly have higher ed, but there was a increasing need for the two to operate as one but retain their separate identities and to understand that people throughout their working career will increasingly uh, dip a little bit into VET and dip a little bit into higher ed. And I'll use a, a great example of some work we've done in the mining and mineral sector where we've had uh, people with master's degrees in geology uh, and other areas in surveying um, come out of the higher ed sector. And then they've gone straight into VET to learn how to use uh, the surveying equipment or some of the mine operations. And if we look also, uh, I, another some work we've done with some of the finance accounting groups, we graduate out of the higher ed sector, some of the best accountants, some of the best auditors in the world, uh, and they were completing their uh, higher ed programs and then going straight into the VET sector. Do you learn how to use the software? And I think increasingly that's the case. It, we don't want um, people throughout their working lives to see it as a binary option either VET or higher ed. Uh, it just needs to be a, an understanding through their working careers. Um, it, you know, for a student's perspective, from an employee's perspective, um, they will access both. And, of course, the challenges that we have there is we've got two very different systems, uh, two different sets of regulators, about nine different funding models, two different student loan programs. And so from both the perspective of the uh, provider and from the perspective of uh, students, um, the two systems really don't operate as one. And so that was the, the major focus in the uh, transition from uh, ACPET to ITECA. It allowed us to uh, better serve our growing membership in the higher ed sector, but then also looking at um, some of the major issues which for them. And so we've had a very good ongoing discussion with ASQA, the VET regulator, with TechSub, the higher ed regulator, about reducing some of the red tape the dual sector providers have. We're having a, a fairly robust discussion with the Commonwealth on funding models to allow uh, students to access basically one funding model, one student loans program. And look, that's going to be a five or 10 year piece of work because there's a lot of stakeholders involved and a lot of complexity. But along the way, uh, we've had a number of reviews come up. Uh, literally, I was in the job about a week and then the Joyce review was announced uh, into vocational education training, which we built on the earlier work of uh, Valerie Braithwaite. Uh, that we then had the ASQA review into its uh, governance, culture and regulatory practices. Uh, we've got the Productivity Commission review that's rapidly coming to an end on the uh, National Agreement for Skills and Workforce Development, which is the basically the funding mechanism from the federal government to the states and territories, how VET's funded. Uh, and we've had a number of uh, Australian government uh, new bodies stood up. The National Careers Institute uh, has been important, uh, but a lot of our work is now with the National Skills Commissioner. Uh, we meet with Adam Boyton and his team virtually on a weekly basis, helping them get, get to the number of funding issues in VET. And then, of course, separately, we deal with the higher education uh, issues and the increasing uh, ability to uh, for higher education providers to access funding for short courses. 
And so that's probably the major change from your own time in ACPET is that uh, there's a little bit more of a focus on higher ed, but also trying to look at the system in its totality of one tertiary education sector um, where there's a lot of complementarity between VET and higher ed rather than two systems operating in silos, which is nightmarish for providers to deal with and, and doesn't serve students at all well. So it's a fairly big piece of work. Sometimes we get some significant successes along the way, um, but as we work towards that tertiary system, that requires some big picture structural reforms that uh, I suspect will still be happening in a decade's time. Oh, I think you're uh, absolutely right. There is no question that uh, reform is um, is certainly a long game in the sector. And I think, unfortunately, one of the the lessons would be that a lack of a, a lack of national agreement on reform, and so unfortunately, inevitably, a change of government sees significant changes to um, to you know the. the the latest set of arrangements, and it does seem to me that that lack of stability has been uh, problematic in both sectors. And so, oh dear, I'm ever optimistic that you know, hopefully we might be on a path. Uh, probably more so, I think, in vet at the moment than in in higher education, uh, to some reforms that might have some uh, longevity to them and allow providers to think and plan ahead rather than this, you know, very reactive um, space that they've been in uh, probably in the in the last decade uh, at least. So uh, very good that you're there for, you know, the current reforms and uh, and also looking um, in that five to, to ten year horizon. And now one of the things that is going to get us there, obviously, is funding, follow the money. Uh, that's what I've always learned. Um, and you and I've had a little bit of a, a, a conversation about uh, this year's uh, federal budget, um, as well as other measures that have been announced uh, during the pandemic. Um, it is a significant challenge, you know, first uh, recession in nearly 30 years, um, 1.4 million people on um, in receipt of unemployment benefits. Now, how do you think that the, the budget just released a couple of weeks ago, how do you think that stacks up in terms of helping uh, in terms of the role that the sector, vet and higher education, can play in helping with Australia's economic recovery? Do we have enough funding in enough places? What do you think of the different measures that have been announced? Look, I think that's a, uh, an interesting point. We've had some significant issues uh, in the past with funding for both vet and higher ed, but also the ability of independent providers to access that, and, and this budget goes a long way to addressing some of that. Uh, is it enough? No. Uh, will it make a difference? Yes. Will it make enough of a difference? I think only time will tell. And look, the headline figures in and of themselves do look impressive. Uh, 100,000 new apprenticeships and traineeships, another $2.8 billion uh, since the start of the year through to about March to support uh, existing apprentices and trainees. Uh, job trainer, which will deliver about 300,000 short courses. Now, these in, in and of themselves are all very positive and welcome initiatives, but they really just start to uh, perhaps repair some of the decline that we've seen in recent years. Uh, and the other issue too is that we're dealing with this in the context of a recession for which there's virtually no precedent. Uh, a, for want of a, a better term, a government-induced recession, uh, both within Australia and globally, uh, really is without precedent. If uh, COVID hadn't come along, you know, there were a few economic clouds on the hill, uh, on the horizon, but they were all manageable. This has been something that uh, has been government um, 
uh, initiated, both within Australia and nationally, uh, and also to a lot of the expertise in dealing with a, uh, a recession that's largely gone. I uh, was 47 just a couple of weeks ago, and I'm, anyone much younger than me has never experienced a recession. And so when we deal um, with the states and territory governments, when we deal with some of the public servants, and this is in no way a criticism of their performance, but we're dealing in some cases with a cohort of uh, advisors and other professionals who just don't understand the true devastation that unemployment brings within families. They don't understand that we've got an entire cohort of school leavers who will not have a job to go to. Uh, and in that context, the initiatives have certainly been welcome. Um, I'm not convinced they're enough. And if we look at them from the perspective of the independent sector, the one thing I can say is that this, this government, um, the, the coalition government, has had a strong focus on allowing the funding to be contestable. It doesn't have a preference for TAFE. It doesn't have a preference for independent providers. It's just making wants to make sure that it's got access uh, to quality provision, whether it be TAFE, whether it be uh, independent providers. And so, look, we will see some significant funding flow through to the independent sector. Job trainer with the five hundred million contributed from the uh, federal government and the matching contributions from the states and territories, around three hundred to three hundred fifty million of that will flow through to independent providers. If we look at the 100,000 apprenticeships and traineeships, uh, we would expect somewhere between five to, to 650 million, sorry, 500 million to 650 million of that will indirectly flow through to the independent sector. So look, you're talking 900 million, uh, which will flow through to independent vet providers and that's welcome. If you look at it in the um, higher ed sector, it's not so great. Um, it's you know, welcome, but not you know, nothing uh, in the same order of magnitude. There was uh, $298 million roughly set aside for 50,000 short higher ed spaces, but only 2,500 of those will be delivered by independent providers, roughly 5%. So, look, you know, $15 million there is welcome. So, look, this budget, I think, is probably um, it sent the right signals. The other thing, too, is we're going to have another federal budget in May next year, uh, and that will have as a give us a much better idea of where the economy lands. And I suspect, well, certainly we're arguing for is a, a greater commitment to both higher ed, but certainly vocational education training in that budget. Uh, in order to uh, properly position Australia for the growth when it resumes, we want a skilled workforce. Uh, these commitments roughly total $5 billion in new commitments since February, and, and that's the largest single increase that the VEC sector's had in a six-month period, seven-month period. But I think there's more to be done. Sure. Um, I don't mean to get into the weeds on this, but I do just because some listeners are a bit less probably familiar with the intricacies of, uh, you know, Commonwealth budgets and things. I think mm -hmm. it is just important that uh, 2.8 billion plus of that doesn't actually go to providers. They are wage subsidies for employers. So it is good. The apprentices are still there and get training. And, you know, I should disclose I'm a board member of uh, MEGT, which is an apprentice services provider. So, you know, of, and well before that, uh, I think that, you know, there is a, a really important role that apprenticeships play. But I just think we do need to be careful that uh, I do sometimes have providers who, you know, get in touch and say, oh, now, Claire, where's all this apprenticeship money going? And and there is that need to sort of explain, well, it's to assist employers to get through, like you say, this global pandemic, that it helps them retain and now commence um, additional apprentices who otherwise the, the sector would 
would lose. Um, so I think it is very, very valued. And uh, and you're right, the May 2021 budget is going to be hugely significant as hopefully it marks out uh, the Commonwealth's uh, five-year investment, four years plus the out years, um, around that new national skills agreement. And uh, it will need to play a big role in helping uh, particularly young people through this recession. I'm a couple of years older than you, only a couple, despite the grey hair. And uh, I started work in the sector uh, not as the government were putting in arrangements to try and grapple with that um, uh, that last uh, economic recession that we went through. So it, it is something that uh, not that many of us, uh, you know, were were around. And, uh, and trying to grapple with. And it, the policy prescriptions back then, Australia and the world are, are a very different place. So this requires innovation uh, from, uh, from all parts of government providers uh, with the aim of, you know, helping the economy and, uh, and helping students. Now, it's probably worth mentioning too, just on that, is, is that of the $5 billion, it's, uh, it's not $2.8 billion, which is wage subsidies, it's actually four. Um, so there's the 2.8 billion for the existing apprentices and trainees, and another 1.2 billion for up to 100,000 new places. Their wage Thank subsidy. You. Yep. Uh, and it, it's the so in and of itself that doesn't directly uh, flow through to either TAFE or independent providers, but of course uh, those apprentices and trainees uh, need to be trained. Yes. Uh, and, and so there will be additional funding. But the other interesting thing, just on those new apprentices and trainees. This is where you do start to, it gets into the technical details. It's not necessarily new jobs, but it is new apprenticeships and traineeships. So it's perfectly possible for an existing worker to pick up a traineeship. And, and that's, it will certainly boost the numbers, but it may not create that many new jobs. And it's just an interesting piece of design yeah. that uh, of that 100,000, we will certainly see an increase in, in absolute apprenticeships and traineeship numbers. But 100,000 new apprenticeships and traineeships may not translate into 100,000 new jobs. Well, and if we're going to be with two nerds here going on this, um, and some of those new 100,000 additional commencements will fill the gap that we might have lost from the system without these wage subsidies. So it is going to be really yeah. fascinating. You're quite right. When we look um, at this time next year or even, you know, at the time of the next budget, what does the economy look like? Who actually ended up getting uh, training in 2020? Who went into higher education with an independent provider or university? Uh, we haven't even thought about, um, well, we both do, but not in this conversation, uh, international education, some providers much more impacted than others. So we're all navigating our way through it and it is going to be uh, everyone's best efforts. Uh, you know, Team Australia, I think it's, um, it is really important that we're you're working together and uh, and focused on uh, this huge recovery um, challenge that's ahead of us. Now, one question that I, you know, didn't float with you beforehand, but I do think while the higher education funding is obviously mostly focused on the universities because they're the, the um, key recipients of government funding in higher education, um, it is also likely that the increase in, to, me, to, to my mind, and I'll test this with you, that the increase in student fees in courses such as economics, management, communications, humanities, um, to 14,500, the student contribution per annum, it strikes me that that allows for potential growth 
in the independent higher education sector as university, the gap between university and independent provider fees narrow, then those benefits of the independent sector, as in high rates of student satisfaction, small class sizes, close links to industry, that becomes um, more, it's not a perfect level playing field, but more of a level playing field. Is that what your members are saying to you? Uh, yes and no. The, the data here is all over shop, as is some of the feedback. Uh, there's a fair number of studies which have shown that pricing of higher ed isn't the primary driver of uh, student choice. Simply, if they're determined to study engineering or history or law or whatever, um, they'll, that's their primary uh, consideration. Then the provider type, usually, if you're talking, you know, the preference sometimes would be to go to one of the group of eight. Uh, pricing typically is a sort of a, a tertiary consideration. So there's that aspect to it. But on the substantive issue, uh, you're right, in some cases the price differential between independent providers and, and public providers will narrow. Uh, you would expect that that would have a, a positive flow-on effect, but um, there are just so many dynamics in that relationship. Um, you know, only time will tell. It's One of the interesting things with the... Uh, changes is we now find a um, perverse outcome where in some cases it will be cheaper to study a, a Bachelor of Nursing than it would be a Diploma of Nursing just because of the different subsidies and the different pay rates. So we're going to see some market distortion in that context. Uh, but look how this plays out. Look, on balance, I think the basic premise you've raised is right. You should see an increased flow um, perhaps not so much from um, public to private, but when they sat down and, and looked at um, their um, choices, they've opted to go with an independent provider. But as I said, all of the research on this shows that price isn't necessarily a determining factor. So I think it will be very much a case of uh, time will tell, which yeah. is a not particularly precise uh, answer to your question. But um, you know, it, it sounds right, but um, the data somehow sometimes suggests otherwise. For sure. And I, I, my, my thinking was that if there are those who can't get a university place, um, do you defer or do you think uh, take a second look at, a, at an independent provider? Again, if they're offering something that is um, of, of relevance and meaning to you. So it's a fascinating time to be working in the sector and, um, and seeing the great contribution that providers make to, you know, helping people uh, improve, you know, their, their life and, uh, and future opportunities as well as the key, um, economic contribution that they make. Um, thank you very much for making the time available. It's been, uh, terrific to chat and we will watch with great interest, uh, as you and your members continue to, you know, uh, advocate, uh, for your students and the role that you play and, um, and to see how particularly the next, uh, 12 months, uh, and, and the years beyond pan out for the sector. Thank you, Claire. No doubt we'll have this conversation in about uh, eight or nine months following the next federal budget as well, which I suspect will have some more commitments. <laughs> no doubt we will. There'll be a lot to talk about. Let's fingers crossed. There'll be a lot to do, a lot of praise uh, and to, to be thinking very positively about them. Mm -hmm.